Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Fisher. This is the podcast for all dads who want to succeed with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey everybody. Today we're excited to have a special guest host with us again, uh, college buddy and dear friend Paul Becker. Hey Paul, how you doing today? Hey, good morning Paul. How's it going today? Doing well, doing well. Fantastic. Uh, Jody was not able to join us this week, uh, but uh, he sends his regards and he's looking forward to listening to our podcast here. Um, I'm doing well, doing fantastic. Uh, uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of bring up this week, Jody's not here on it, but Paul, I'll bring it up with you. We passed the 10,000 unique download uh, mark mm-hmm. with the podcast, which I, I and we thank everybody out there, all our guests, including yourself, Paul. Uh, and and all our listeners that made that happen. It's been a slow climb to get to that 10,000 mark, but it's great to see that stat now on the dashboard for the podcast uh, uh, that we that we use, the, the podcast hosting provider. So it's been very cool. Um, the one thing I got to say, and I always tell this to people that are, that are new listeners, um, listen to the last five, not the first five. The first five <laughs> yeah. are a disaster, um, at least from my perspective. I'm very critical of myself. Yeah. Um, I'm still very proud of the first podcast because it was the one where we were able to jump into the pool. Jody and I talked about the podcast for a long, long time. And finally, after talking one day, I said, listen, let's just do it. I I heard about this tool. I'm going to download this thing. We're going to do it over Skype. And let's just record. And we did with no script, no, no guidance, no nothing. And we actually recorded actually two of them. And I talk about that. We actually released the actual first Mortgages podcast as one of our Encore episodes. So there's actually two of them floating out there. They're slightly different. So if you're listening and you want to listen back to both of the mortgage uh, payoffs, they're slightly different. So give them a listen. But we want to thank everybody for their uh, help and support over the last uh, year and a half, almost two years of doing the podcast. So thank you. Um, Today's topic is a single family incomes. Can families survive on a single family income um, in this day and age? And and that's the the question that we're going to tackle this week. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. The first news story is from CNBC. Teens call for more personal finance education to bridge economic opportunity in America. Um, This is one of those technical articles, Paul, that I read through and I'm kind of taking bits and pieces from. Um, Kids are aware and they're more up to date on the inequality and how hard it is to succeed financially in this day and age. And they're trying to learn on their own, which is a good thing. Um, That's what I took away from the article. Um, There's a lot of pieces in here where they talk about bridging that gap when it comes to uh, inequality in business and economic opportunity, as well as a focus on learning the fundamentals of, of personal finance. Um, so that's kind of what my takeaway was, which I think is all great stuff. Paul, what was your takeaway from this article? You know, I was actually um, surprised and somewhat disappointed that only six states in the country require the high school students to take at least one semester of uh, per- personal finance. You know, it's you know, after school, whether it be, you know, after high school, whether it be college or not, or personal finance is with you till the day you die, right? It, it's one of those things that never stops. 
and having a good fundamental understanding of how things work and uh, whether it be mortgages, credit cards, checking accounts, and how they all play together. You know, they people need to understand that and the lack of transparency, lack of teaching it in the schools is a little sad. So I, me as a parent, sure, my you know, we, we focused on that a lot here at our house and our kids understand it. Our kids, the day they turned 18, they each started their own investment accounts, which is really cool. That is cool. And um, they have the, when they went to college at 18, you know, they each got their own credit card. Sure, we had a co-sign on it because they have no income, but they have to manage that. And they manage that from, you know, work they do during the summer, during internships and, you know, like, grandparent birthday money so that they have a fairly good sense of understanding and uh it's it's of course always interesting you know when they want something or someone wants something well how much of your money are willing to put towards that (laughs) and it's their money it's a little different than when it's your money (laughs) yeah it is very interesting and I, i i think i could do a better job of teaching my kids i have one saver one spender um and and it's and the one thing that's missing here, I think maybe because it's just the day and age, maybe, I don't know. But I think, Paul, you and I had similar backgrounds in terms of we learned about – we didn't really learn finance in school. We learned it like on the job. I mean I had my paper out at 12, 13 years old. Yep. You had your paper out. You had jobs in, during high school. I had jobs during high school, during the summer. Um, I learned the power of saving. I bought my own car, my first car with my own money. Yep. Uh, these are things that um, I think we had our, our self-imposed teachable moments, Paul. Maybe it was just the desire to get a car. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. But <laughs> Maybe I remember my first car. Yeah, it was a $600 POS at the time. But yeah. Yeah, no, mine was uh, – that's another story. My car was a gorgeous 1984 Monte Carlo that I had bought and saved. I remember that. I remember that car. And, that um, and took care of. And so I kind of learned and you learned the same way. But I, I know we're diverting, but um, I think that well, we part are, is missing not. a little bit maybe. And maybe I'm just well, not Well, yes and no. So here, that paper route, that paper route, Paul, that kids are not able to do today because it has to be delivered by you know some odd godly hour in the morning. And everyone thinks it on the internet now anyway. Yeah. But yeah. the paper route, what was so important about the paper route and just hearing you say that made me reflect on it now, is you had a book, right, of your customers and how much weekly, you know, they owed because maybe they maybe they only got the Sunday paper this and they didn't get the full everyday thing because I had customers that were like that and I track it every week and you know give them the bill and collect the money and all that and so you understand the ins and outs of everything and then okay that has to go to the company and so I think for me you know understanding that at 12 years old for many years doing that was really fundamental so yeah, we're digressing a little from the topic, but that plays no, into No, no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean I had the same thing. I had my book, and I remember going and collecting on the route. And, and yep. we'll, we'll let this go in a minute, but yeah. I, the, one more story. I remember collecting on the route, and my route was one long line. Like I went from my house, went up the street, made a left, went up to the corner, and then I had one street, one very long street, a lot of multifamily houses, so I had a, I had a lot of density. And then I, I, then I got to the end of the street, and I had to go down another street. In order to finish the route. So it was one big line. And I remember at the very end of that route, 
I had customer and a customer that, you know, I went one night, I had walk, right, to go collect the three dollars or the two seventy five and hopefully I would get a fifty or seventy five cent tip. And I remember knocking on the door and I got I'm just it's freezing, right? And I'm trying to collect and the lady's like, Oh, my wallet's upstairs. Can you come back tomorrow? I don't want to go upstairs and get it and I'm like Wow. Like when I think back on it, I was very courteous. I was like, okay, thank you. No problem. You know, so I remember yeah. that story. But man, we worked, we earned those nickels, right? We earned those yes. quarters and, and stuff. So um, very good times. But I'm not sure if the kids, now I'm going to sound old, the kids nowadays have that opportunity. But I guess there is, right? There's there's jobs after school. There's things you could still do if your kids want to learn and, and learn more about money. But, you know, kind of wrapping it back around to the story. Um, I think in short, we, we do need to get more um, knowledge into these kids' heads, and hopefully that'll happen um, over time, right? Hopefully um, these news articles and there'll be a groundswell from the kids to learn more about personal finance. And if you check out that article, there's links and such in there to, that takes you to different areas of learning. So if you have any kids, maybe point them there. That'd yeah. be a good thing. True. Um, the next story is from fortune.com. And the 20 most important financial laws to live by. Um, this was published recently, but to me, it feels like it's a story that has been out there for a long time, probably a rinse and repeat story. Um, but man, it all of it resonates. Everything it talks about, we talk about in the podcast. So I would say if you read anything over the last several months, on our or anything I could recommend that you should read from our and we post all these links on the Facebook page. Read this story on the Facebook page, right? These twenty things are incredible, and I, and there's so many in there. I'm not going to read through them, but the the two that caught my eye that I think are very important that I do is save saving is more important than investing. The art of saving is more valuable than the art of investing, and knowing where you stand financially, how much you owe versus how much you own. I think those two things stuck out to me as very important rules to live by. And if I had to take two rules out of this 20, those are the two that I would select. Paul, what was your take on this article? You know, I I, I agree with you, Paul. I think one of the ones that I found um, interesting, I, actually, there, there are a lot of them here, right? <laughs> They're all really good ones. But talk about money more often. Mm. Um you know, with with your spouse, partner, uh, whatever, that being on that same page, because money is quite frankly, I believe, the source of, of most um, relationship troubles. Mm, but if yes. you talk about it and set those goals together and have an understanding of, you know, maybe one is a spender and one's a saver and. Well, okay, how do you find that balance? And maybe it's a budget thing. Okay, well, here's your spend budget, right? You know, there, there are things in there. And the other ones and, and that I thought were interesting were about, you know, credit card debt. Like, I, I avoid credit card debt at the plague, like it says right there. But building credit is important, right? So they're right there next to each other. So you have to have credit cards to build and use them, but not have the debt. So, again, that goes into the budgeting and paying it off. So the, those are two, three big ones, I guess, for me. Yeah, and, and I think that we've we done specific full episode podcasts on oh, money and marriage and yeah. on credit card debt. I don't know if we've talked about building credit so much. Um, that one, 
I don't think we've tackled fully. Maybe that's right, another So we'll do topic. another episode. Yeah, we'll do yeah another I think episode. that might be a, a one I'll, I'll add to, to the list. We have a running list of topics that we maintain here on the show. But maybe that's a great one to kind of talk about building and maintaining credit, right? I think that's the key. Um, a lot of financial folks will dispute the building of credit, um, especially if you listen to the types like Dave Ramsey. Others, you know, swear by the FICO score like Susie Orman. I think to your point, Paul, we have to split the middle. You have to balance leveraging credit cards with in a, in a safe way in order to build your credit and maintain that credit while not going into credit card debt. And, and one of the things we refer to credit cards as, it's analogous to a chainsaw. If you know how to use a chainsaw, you won't cut your legs off and you won't slice your fingers off. But if you don't know how to use a chainsaw, it could be very dangerous. So you really do have to know how to use a credit card and use it wisely. So, Paul, I'll let you have the last word on that. Yeah, Paul, I, I actually definitely want to do that episode because I think there are some interesting tips, tricks, thoughts that I've picked up over the years, including how your FICO score impacts everything, so many things in your life that you may not even realize. So uh, that would be a neat one, everything from home loans to – you know, job employment to your auto insurance, uh, so many things that matter. So oh, I'm scribbling feverishly. I have a glass top <laughs> desk with an expo marker, and I'm going to put this all into the spreadsheet. And Paul, your name will be all over it. So thank you for volunteering on that one. That was going to be awesome. So I can't wait to do that script. Um, and when I say script, folks, we outline this. We put some talking points together, being transparent. We just want to make sure that. We don't have the first five episodes uh, repeat, right? So we learned our lesson that you have to have some semblance of an outline in order to keep the show going. And I don't care what podcast you're on. Um, it's just something that uh, unless you're Dave Chappelle who could talk off the cuff and riff for hours on end and be funny or be interesting, um, I can't. So we need to make sure we have some semblance of some sort of path here. Otherwise, you guys would not listen to us. So thank you. Um, just a little bit of note behind the scenes here. So um, I think with that, we'll jump into today's topic, which is single family incomes. Can a family survive on a single family household income in this day and age? And Paul, I know you have some good experience in this, but before we jump into your situation, I'll just kind of speak about mine a little bit. Uh, we've always been a two income house. Since the beginning of time, um, even before my wife and I were married, we've always been dual income, always had a me methodology. And if you listen to the Money and Marriage uh, episode, you'll hear about our full methodology and how we conduct our finances in our household. So listen to that. Uh, but we, we do a good job, we think, of keeping the finances in check. And, and Paul, to your point, my wife and I, we, we never fight about money. That's one topic. We fight about other things, but not about money. And I think it's because of the way we we do our the way we manage our money. It's not for everybody, but it's the way we found works the most effectively. Um, for us, we've always maintained that we wanted to be a, a, a dual family income. But but in reality, when we bought our condominium, our first home, my wife was pregnant with my son, and my mantra through her pregnancy was: as soon as this kid is 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 done, you're going back to work, and we're you know we got a you know the whole mantra of dual income, dual income. And then my son was born. And I was in the delivery room. And during that week of being with him and my wife, I said to myself, you know, maybe maybe we don't need the two incomes, right? Like maybe we don't need this. So I had a, a discussion with my wife and and we talked about it. And I said, you know, hon, I said, you know, 
we have this two-bedroom condo. We can get rid of the office, turn that into the kids' room, uh, Andrew's room. Uh, we'll get a couple of laptops and a printer, put the printer in the middle, in the corner of the dining room, or we'll put it in the, our bedroom, and we'll just live here. The mortgage is manageable, and if we live on my income, you could stay home with the baby, and I'll... I'll, you know, I'll do my, uh, I'll go to work and, and, um, everything will be good. And, and we disagreed on that. Right. I think my wife at the time, you know, she was like, no, she likes her independence. She likes her job and, and it's all good stuff. There was nothing wrong with the decision on this. Right. But I remember dialing the clock ahead later in the year and it was around Christmas time. We're at my wife's parents' house and my son was in daycare and he wasn't in daycare two months and he had runny noses he had pink eye he had all the stuff that you get from being with other kids in that environment and you know he was sick for for christmas right a runny nose and he was in the high chair and he was sneezing and 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 my mother-in-law had said oh you know too bad shelly couldn't stay home with the baby and and i neglected to give one point between the condo where we were staying and christmas we had bought a house Three months after my son was born, we bought a house. So we moved out of the condo, bought a house, more expensive house because we needed to be closer to our work and we needed more space. Not so much more space. We need to be closer proximity just in case something happened at the daycare. We can get home quicker. I know I'm rambling a bit, but long story short, my mother-in-law was like, oh, too bad Shelly can't stay home with the baby. And I was like, I, I, I literally almost got up from my chair. I said, that offer was put on the table. It was rejected. We own this new house. We're not talking about it anymore. <laughs> and that was it. But not realizing at the time, Paul, looking back, it was really what they call a two-way door decision. I could have. We could have said, you know what? This isn't working. Let's sell the house, take a loss, buy a condo again, and downsize. And if you want to hear about downsizing, listen to the Jody episode. This is full of plugs this week. I'm plugging the heck out of our previous episodes. <laughs> uh uh, Jody has a wonderful story about downsizing. We could have done what Jody did, and, and it's never too late. So if you're in a situation where you want to – one person wants to stay home with the kid, but you're in a dual-income situation, you have a big house, and you don't know how to tackle it, listen to that episode because you could you could reverse the decision. At the time, Paul, when I bought the house with the mortgage looking in front of me, we talked about mortgages before we started recording today, that mortgage, daunting – Right. It was daunting. There's no way. I was like, I, we got it, you know, and it all worked out. My wife enjoys her job. My kids are OK. I think personally that my kids learned a bit from being in some of those environments. They learned about sharing. They have more friends. There's a lot of things. There's pluses and minuses to every situation. So today's episode, there's nothing wrong. And I want to emphasize this. There's nothing wrong with a dual income household, just like there's nothing wrong with a single family household. There's pros and cons to both. It just depends on what you're trying to do. So I, with that, I'm going to kind of jump to you, Paul, and let you speak because I overspoke. Uh, but I know you went back and forth on this. Tell us a little bit about the history in terms of your single single income versus double income and I think back to single. I, I know you had a lot going on, but you've been able to maintain a great life, two great outstanding kids, great marriage. Everything is going well, and you've been able to do it with different with these different income levels in your household. So please, I'll let you have the floor. So Paul, we're, we'd love to hear how you, uh, what the real world single family experience has been in your life. 
So thanks, Paul. Wow. Uh, usually Paul doesn't go on that long. That was that was pretty. Funny. Yeah, I got on. I got on a high horse there. Uh, <laughs> you but did. Yeah, I remember that funny. story. Been dying to tell that story for a long time, I guess. Oh no, I don't know. I remember. I remember hearing bits and pieces of those over a long time ago. So yeah. it was kind of funny to re to rehear it. And just just one thought dawned on me, Paul, while you were talking about it. Um, and I, I'm going to get there too. But you know single family uh single income dual income doesn't necessarily mean kids right mm. it it could mean that you're going to stop one role one, one income to perhaps do something else and maybe that's do a startup and do other things or go back it doesn't to have to be about kids right so just for our listeners out there it's not always about the kids right it's that there are a lot of reasons why you can do these things and how they can um parlay into other things so uh my my quick story i'll try and be a little quicker than you paul um (laughs) was uh my wife and i got married um she was she still had a year left in grad school believe it or not and we were getting married i forgot about that (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. she was still in school when you guys got married. I'm sorry, I know I'm interrupting, yeah. but not. So we go back a long time. For anyone who doesn't know, Paul and I go way back, way yeah, back. So, way so. Back. so, uh, so she was still in grad school, and so she had finished that up. And what's neat was her grad school was paid for by, uh, by, a, by a place. And the requirement was okay, after grad school, you work for us for X number of years. Uh, it was a good deal, right? So you got free grad school, you got a, you get a job, guaranteed job for a guaranteed number of years. It, it, it's really a great situation in that sense. Uh, then we had the then we had the baby. Mm. Okay. So what are we going to do? Uh, so we you know um we had we actually waited to the baby till a little till she was pretty much done with her requirement. Um, so she had the baby, and we decided for us what worked for us was her being home with our son, um, and that had obviously a, a dramatic impact on our on our finances. So we, I'm I'm generally more of a spender, although I. If you look at uh, our savings lately, I've been much more of a saver than a spender than ever before in my life, and that I tie into all that later. It's really interesting because we we were doing fine, we were doing good, we had our little apartment in Queens, and um, and we were good, we were happy. We then we bought our house out on the island and working fine, and then she we had the baby, and then once we had the baby okay how are we going to do this so actually my mom helped for a while watching the baby while she was just finishing up her her uh, contract obligation and then took a few years off um and we had our second kid so we had two kids and under two at the time which was a lot and to us that was really important um there were advantages, as you said, Paul, with daycare and not daycare, you know, friendships. Uh, some say, you know, getting those colds then is great because then, you know, they got that in their body, right? They're building up their immune system, kind of like building up your credit score. All ticks and um, all reasons for everything. What we did was we always 
even to this day, we try and manage our finances as if we're on one income. Mm. Uh, so generally mine, uh, to be honest, right? Um, my, my income is, is a little bit more than my wife's. Uh, but we try and manage it so it's always one income. And that's how we've done it. And that's how we've been successful with it. By doing that, what that allowed us to do was, you know, contribute more to the 401k accounts and uh, and have money for Christmas. So when she was working, you know, we, we were able to really save when she wasn't. We, we did this um, back and forth thing there, right? She was working, stopped, went back to working um for many years now but when she wasn't you know because we focused on the budgeting for one income and making sure things can work that way that that was key for us and that's how we did it and that same methodology we apply with dual income and it's been tremendous for us and um that's really it in a nutshell there, Paul. Uh No, that that's very cool. I mean, from what I'm hearing and, and kind of – how long were you guys with uh, with the single income? Can, can you give some time frames? Like, so you went from dual to single back uh, to dual. Well, what was kind of that time five frame? Years. Five, five years. Five years. That's a solid yeah. five years of, of, yeah. of one income. Yeah. Okay. And it was – so it was, it was scary actually sometimes because – you know, then your your thinking is, well, what if I lose my job? Mm. Yeah. That, and and that's the, and maybe it's not the right way to do it, folks. But that was sort of the fear that 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 drove me to this methodology of uh, one income, because my wife did go back, but when she went back, she went back part time, which was, you know, initially till the kids were older. And then she went back full time. So we've had you name the scenario. I feel like we've had it, including, you know, her working and during the financial crisis. I worked for a bank, and we know what happened there. Lots of banks let go, lots of people. I was, you know, I was one of those at that time. So then we had single income again, mm. but on the opposite side for a little while. Interesting. So Interesting. Again, the the uh, there's big there's a difference in income. But we were still okay, and quite honestly, even today, Paul, even today, um, you and I have talked a lot about our finances, probably a much more granular, personal level than than most friends talk about. You know, I still play through. Okay, it, what if scenarios all the time, especially with the COVID situation out here? Like, what if X happens to me or X happens to my wife? From an income point of view, what are we doing? How are we going to manage that? And it all comes back to the savings, the discipline we've had over the years, the budget. But again, what can we do on the one income? So That's very cool. I mean, the one thing that jumped out at me, you, you called it out, and that's in terms of risk. And I think that um, in my case, because I've had dual income in the household, I my wife has been a steady stream. So mm-hmm. she's been at the same kind of organization for a very long time. It's allowed me to take more of more calculated risks in my career than I think I normally would have done if I was a single family income. So going back in time, if we had stayed in the condo, would I have made some of the job moves that I had uh, done? I, I don't quite know. 
I don't know what my risk meter was. Did, did risk ever play into the fact of your career in terms of you were single career? You know, you were the single breadwinner, if you want to use that word at the time. And you had an opportunity, you might have passed on it because it might have not, you know, if, because of the risk that, oh, what happens if I lose the income completely? Has that ever played into your thinking? Um, whenever I'm looking at a new opportunity, I'm looking at the risk of it. Uh, for me, looking at a new job opportunity, it, it's always been about fit. And is it a good fit for me? Will it be a good fit within that organization? So, um, you know, there, there is always risk in that, and it does play into it. Um, and it plays into it. I, again, I, I sound like a broken record right now, but that, that single income. Okay, so if something happens at this new opportunity, you know, what I do is I look at our savings and our, our budget, really, right? Our savings, our expenses. Okay, and with everything we have, well, plan A is, well, how many months can I go without an in, without that additional income? Or can I be indefinite on just the one income, right? And then I look at, well, okay, so I have just one over this amount of time. Well, what's plan B? What if things are really bad or something happens, uh, you know, physically, right? Mm. What, if, what if I, you know, you, that's where you have the first maybe uh, maybe I'm at my current role and I have short-term disability and then after that well long-term disability but do you have supplemental long-term disability the, these are other financial tools that companies offer that may not be a lot of money and again it, to Paul to your point about mitigating some of that risk and understanding it so it's not just always about a, uh, a loss of job but there are other things that could dramatically impact your income, especially, you know, the short-term and long-term disabilities. You know, one of, one of my colleagues at work, unfortunately, he went in for what was a routine thing um, early November, and things went sideways on him. And, mm. you know, so we're talking to him, really not even talking to him. We're talking now to his wife, making sure she's set up for the short-term disability and things like that. Um, and it was happened during open enrollment, but he wasn't out on short term yet. So we suggested maybe you look at the long term as an option because you're still in that window. Like it wasn't, you just had the thing done. You know, so there are a lot of things to think about and play through in the scenarios. It's, it's really a scenario based game. And, uh, unfortunately I wish Jody was on right now. Cause I, I'd love to, I actually want a copy of Jody's, uh, 123 line budget spreadsheet <laughs> without the numbers of course but just to see how how detailed he can get i, yeah. I sort of done a, a medium detail like you and i paul more macro level yeah i know jody is ultra micro i've done sort of a um a, a midterm one um from a retirement planning perspective and that we could probably talk about that for hours too but what what is needed so that that's how we've done it and we've always looked at one of the incomes as to do our savings or the extracurricular activities. Uh, again, we talked about the expense of sports, things like that. We, we used to kid around that. My wife's income was just for the extracurricular activities and mm. the kids. <laughs> well, I love the way you handle the risk. I think I don't do as good a job. I think for me, I was very, very horse blinded in terms of when it came to risk. If I think if my 
if I had a job and my wife and my wife wasn't working and I think jumping from job to job, that single focus of what if I go to the new job and it implodes after a week and I already had this other job that's been great, right? Uh, or good. And, and, and so I love your take on it where you have to weigh all the risks. And I don't know if I would have done such a great job of weighing all the risks in terms of that. Um, so it's great to hear that you, you're, you're a bit more um, uh, analytical when it comes to kind of looking at the risks more holistically. So I like yeah, that approach. I, I, I actually had that happen to me, Paulie. You probably don't even remember this story. But I took a job. Um, and the first day there during orientation, uh, they said, uh, guess what folks, we're really excited. We just announced you know, we were in downtown Manhattan, um, actually in one of the world trade center buildings. So things happen for a reason sometimes a little mm -hmm. weird, right? This was a long time ago, obviously. And they said, guess what folks, we're moving to Jersey city. I said, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. I, I live on Long Island like that. That that kind of really stinks for me. And like, oh, it'll be good. It'll be great. It's gonna. Be, it's not that bad a commute. I'm like, no. I actually just, I did that already. I yeah. did that for a few years. Yeah. Yeah. And I said to the boss, I said, look, man, I didn't sign up for that. You 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 knew this was gonna happen. You could have told me that before I accepted your offer. Oh, what are you going to do? You're here now. So what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and call the other company back that I had another offer from and see if I can get that job back. Mm. Mm. And I did. Interesting. And I got that job. And I ended up being there for eight and a half years. Interesting. Uh, so, so do jobs implode? Absolutely. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. So I'm sorry, a little bit of side. No, no. There. I think it's a great lesson on how you have to approach it. Right, you have to kind of look at the situation and then figure out what the next move is and execute on that move. So very cool. I mean, I, that happened to me, Paul, in a weird way. I was working in Midtown, um, and I I left a job um, where I was in Midtown. They were talking about going downtown, and then I went to the new job. And after about nine months, they moved downtown, and my other job actually moved right near Grand Central. It was crazy. Like, so I, like if I had stayed, I would have had like the best commute ever. Um, but it is what it is. And I understand the nuances. So that's a great point to point out is you just don't know. Right. So no matter what you're looking at, maybe this is kind of turning into a career uh, podcast, which I think we've talked about in the past. But, um, you know, it's something to to kind of think about. Um, I think with that, Paul, maybe what we'll do is jump into some of the topics. Right. Which we've touched yeah. upon a lot of them. But I'll just kind of go through them and we'll just kind of run through them. Like, is it possible to survive on one income? And, and the answer is yes. It sounds like a resounding yes, Paul. With the proper planning and the proper discipline, it sounds like it's doable. Yeah, it absolutely is doable. You have to really – again, you have to have that discussion with your partner, okay? And not, not just a discussion of – how we do finances and manage it, but those what if scenarios. So you both understand, okay, well, if something happens in my career, here's what we're going to do. Because uh, generally you're also on one person's health plan, right? Mm. So, well, if you switch health plans, how much of a hit is that dollar wise? Because sometimes it could be a big hit in difference. So uh, having those, um, discussions sometimes they're difficult because what could spawn is your partner saying 
oh my goodness, why? Why are you going to lose your job? That's not it. I just want to have a plan. Um, generally, I do a lot of my planning in my head probably all night long. Uh, that's probably why I don't sleep as well because mm. I'm always doing what-if scenarios uh, and things like that. And I, I think the reason why I do so much of that, Paul, is one, yeah, I kind of like you, you know, little risk adverse, but I've been a, a fireman for a very long time as well, a volunteer fireman, and you know, watching a new home go up or a new structure, and I'm looking at it, and I'm always planning. Well, okay, how am I gonna deal with a situation in that location? Where are the hydrants? How are people? How are trucks coming in? Where am I gonna stage things? What are we gonna do? And well, it sounds really crazy that that's really no different than what you and I are talking about, and it's planning. And it's it's called, we call pre-planning in the fire department, and that's really what budgeting is. That's a good part of budgeting, mm-hmm. but it's having those almost difficult discussions with your partner. But what if someone gets sick? What is your coverage? What is my coverage? You know, a lot of firms now offer something called critical care coverage. You know, from from a uh, you know, cancer point of view and things like that. So there there are a lot of options to look at and consider within um, all those worlds. So very cool. Very cool. And I think, you know, I think that's a great, um, some great stuff in there. So I can't wait to listen back on this podcast this week, uh, this upcoming week. It's one of those things where I'm learning a lot as I'm going through this. So thank you, Paul. Um, The next topic we want to talk about here is what is the advantage to one income? So you lived it. Uh, what what do you think are a couple of the advantages that you saw with having just the one income? Interesting. Um, just the one income. I, I, I guess it would be that uh, knowing my kids are in the best possible care mm-hmm. and loving environment. Um now, again, as I said before, it doesn't – the dual income, one income, it doesn't have to be about the kids, but in our situation it was. Um, so to me, uh, that was so powerful for me um, that they were getting, especially in the younger years, such a great foundation on how to do things uh, and you know, helping with their early childhood development that will play long-term out. On some things um, you know to, that was that's what it was for me that was probably the, the single best advantage was, was that uh, disadvantages other than finance were my my poor bride was was always tired I felt like when mm. they were younger you know? mm. Mm. interesting <laughs> you know, interesting just, just exhausted so you're coming home from work you know mentally exhausted uh, maybe from dealing with stuff at work and commuting and such and coming home and my my poor bride was exhausted for completely opposite reasons running around chasing two young boys around and helping them and doing all this stuff so uh, sort of the opposite of that but that for me that was that was priceless to me yep for those early years and then once they're in school things change right 
Yeah, they do. They do. And I think that that's one thing we we probably uh, one of my regrets is we probably didn't have enough of that. Um, I know there's stories I could go into around um, the kids and, and, and some of those situations. But for the most part, we, we go by the adage there's a, a sitcom that's out there um, called The Middle. It's now mm-hmm. over. But one of yep. the taglines was there's a dual income family trying to make it work with three kids. And whenever, you know, there would always be a line where the, one of the kids will be like, oh, ma, ma, I wish you could stay home with us and, and, and do X, Y, Z. And she's like, sorry, wrong family. And that became a running joke in our house because that's what we tell our kids. Um, mm. um, but I think for coming from a dual income family for the whole time, at least, well, I shouldn't say the whole time. It's not over yet. Um, up until now, I'll say. Being dual okay. income up until now in my life, up until this day, this minute, this hour, um, I could say that um, the one thing I learned was I had to make time to make sure I was plugged in to my kids' school and activities and their lives and, and that type of way. Um, and I could—I don't want to bore everyone with a, with a long story around that, but I learned the lesson the hard way. And it all worked itself out. And, and to this day, especially in grammar school where those are more prevalent – I, you know, I try to sign up for an activity, whether it's the, the Valentine's Day or the Christmas party. I always try to sign up for one or two of those things. I always try to make the, the band practices or whatever that is. So, um, but I had to learn the lesson the hard way, and, um, and I'll leave it at that. So. <laughs> but um, you know, we talked a little bit about going from one income to two incomes and then back down to one income. Um, and I think you've talked about this in depth, so I don't think we have to rehash it. It's all around calculating your needs and razor-sharp budgeting. Um, I think those come into play. But maybe we'll touch upon cutting costs and paying down debt. We didn't really touch upon those topics so far. What What did you have to do? What has been your mantra when it comes to cutting costs down and paying down debt? Because I do got to say one thing, Paul, and I can't remember the timing, but I was going to bring this up earlier. That first house you had in Long Island, we yeah. all loved it. Had the pool had all yep. that cool stuff. And your new house is awesome, but it doesn't have the pool. Um, <laughs> and, and we all missed the pool. But I remember at the time you made the decision to, to move, and, and that was a great decision. I think it worked out fine. Um, but what, what did that did cutting costs or paying down debt come into play at all? And I know when you made that move, I can't remember if, if Janine was working or not working. Uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about that situation, plus your thoughts on cutting costs and paying down debt, especially if you're going into a one-income situation or maintaining it while you're during a one-income situation. Right. So a lot went into that decision, um, and it certainly had nothing to do with cutting costs. Um, the home price was, was more than double poly. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> okay? yeah I remember so that. It was not a cut-cost uh, scenario by any stretch of the imagination. Um what we went into it was the, the kids were very young and we were looking at the schooling. That's what it really was. And the elementary schools where we were at the time was were, were very good. But then as you got to middle school, it wasn't as good. And then as you got to high school, it, it really dropped off from a quality perspective of the um, – from – some people people were saying also stats and you know so it, it was it was somewhat of a neighborhood thing mm-hmm. um where we live now is actually where my wife and i met in high school in high school gym class right so and 
I remember saying I would never move to this neighborhood because it could be a little, you know, stuck up or something at some times. And uh, uh, I've avoided that over the years, thankfully, just by some of our personal nature. But, you know, it was about the kids' education and opportunity. And what's really interesting is the opportunity was very good school system here. Um, and so much went into this. It's funny when you bring it up, I'm thinking about other things. And I look at some kids here from this neighborhood where we are now, they go to maybe an all boys, you know, Catholic school that's very well known. And I look at what they're paying, what parents are paying per kid for that versus, you know, other versus really my taxes. That's what I was doing the math on. Well, all right, so they're paying eight grand per kid per year to go to this school. All right, that's a lot of money for an education that I can get for free in public school, but all public schools aren't equal in the quality of education. So I looked at, I think my home taxes at the time, my first home were around four grand a year or so. So four grand plus 16 when they're in high school. And again, knowing things would get expanded over time, I'm looking that's 20 grand where if I just moved, right, my overall budget expenditure long-term would be less. My taxes are higher or much higher, right? Um, but when I factor in those other things like the schooling and the opportunities, for us, it seemed like a better fit. And, and in fact, uh, the current job I'm at now and one of my previous jobs, I ended up getting through connections in my local neighborhood, <laughs> You know, just actually at the firehouse, believe it or not. So you never know where those opportunities are going to come from. But, Paul, it really wasn't about um, necessarily direct line of sight onto money save. But it, it was interesting. A side comment on that. This home, when, uh, Paul, you and I were talking about our mortgage guy, we were using the same mortgage guy for many, many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he called me up and said, Paul, they don't want to give you a loan to the house for this house. I'm like, why not? And we were single income at the time, Paul. So it was big risk, big mm-hmm. risk, as you can imagine. And I said, why not? He's like, because you have this car loan. Mm. I'm like, I have the cash in the bank. I could pay it off, but then I have less cash liquid you know, to cover. Do you remember that, that balance of covering? And yeah. I, I think that's a whole other topic is what is the right amount of money in term wise? You and I had a sidebar about that a month or two ago. But, you know, so I'm like, so Mike, that's our mortgage guy, right? Mm-hmm. Mike, so I can, I can pay off the car right now. I'll write the, I'll go home and write the check tonight and send it in. And then while well, I'm going to get the, the mortgage approval, it's like, yeah. Like, Mike, that makes absolutely zero sense to me <laughs> that, that I, I drop my liquidity to pay off this debt and, and it wasn't a lot uh, I mean it was but it wasn't right I'm like he's like that's what they want I'm like alright done I went home wrote the check paid off the minivan because it was a minivan so uh, that that was a little strange interesting story on that and um, again with the dual income going back to what you're talking about dual income versus single income you know what is 
your wrist tolerance and and I wrist tolerance and how many months can you cover on if you're if you're in a situation if you're dual now and you drop one for whatever reason how much can you cover how long are you good for and uh, I think we could probably have a whole separate podcast on what is the right amount of a safety net. Yeah, and we've talked about the safety nets in the past, and that, that is definitely something we could go into more depth on. And I think that's that's all very that's all very cool because I, I think that I did something similar where when we bought our home, we were looking specifically around school system. When we talk about that in the home buying episode, we're going to keep plugging all the previous episodes. We talk about yeah. that where you know buying the right school system, right? So we're very happy where our kids are. Your kids are very happy. It blows my mind when we're in such a great school system and to your point paul i see um you know people put their kids in other schools that are you know it could be up to you know fifty thousand dollars per year per kid right and there's a whole right. family of them right like it's very amazing to me but everyone has their own prioritization and and it's and, and and how they handle their money so i i'm not envious or jealous i'm just fascinated maybe that's the word um you know that i would be looking for um sure. So I'm a little bit of a uh, skeptical SOB at times, right? So when my eldest one graduated from our public high school, I looked at our school publishes a list of all the schools or what kids are going to be doing afterwards. And it's a quite impressive list, quite honestly. And then I took that same thing from that private school that people send kids to, okay, and pay the additional money for Paul, it was on par, if not in some ways. I personally thought the public one was a little bit better. Like from a, from a, if you're looking at the number of kids and the caliber of schools, it was really really interesting to look at where are those kids going that go to that private school when they're done versus where's this public school going. Well, and, well, and you could do that when you're shopping for a neighborhood for a home, mm-hmm. right? You know, you have great schools out there that tie into Zillow and all this stuff. See, if you, if you if you have aspirations for your child to go on to, you know, college and things like that, well, get look at the last few years of where these kids are, are going to college. Then. And that will give you a sense of the school's academic achievement in some ways, probably better than some of these other darn stats. I do. I make up my own stuff. So now, that's a great answer. call out. And I think we're getting a lot of cool stuff out of this podcast, which is awesome. And I think it comes down to, you know, what we've talked about and, and kind of slowly going through some of the, the items here in terms of, you know, um, the one income advantage, right? Great advantage, especially if you have kids. But it might be that your spouse wants to go back to, to school to go to law school, graduate school. There might be different circumstances that have great outcomes. So there's there's always great advantages to having the one income. And then going from one to two or two to one um, is, you know, calculating your needs, making sure the, the budgets are razor sharp, uh, living on the single income, which is great, um, cutting costs and paying down debt and, and taking a look at your housing situation. I think that's always great. Um, the two last topics I want to touch upon today are around tips and tricks, the home economist, right? So we've talked about one tip being, you know, trial run while having the two incomes, live on the first, live on one income. And maybe that's a lifelong thing is to live on one income. But Paul, to kind of wrap up the podcast, what are some of the tips and tricks that you learned in terms of home economist skills or, you know, from going from two to one, one to two, but maybe going from two to one 
living on that single family. What are some of the tips and tricks that you saw during those five years that really helped you and your family be economically uh, productive or, or helped you guys along the way with either saving money or, or um, you know, something to that effect? Yeah, so you remember, um, Paul, you brought it up, that show The Middle, mm. right? I, we used to watch that. We used to find it hysterical. Uh, in some ways, we used to laugh because we thought the, the smallest child in there, his name was Brick. Yes, right? yes. In some ways, he reminded us of my little guy at certain times, including he had the same darn um, comforter cover. Oh, my so, gosh. Did he have a microfiche machine? No, never mind. See, I watched that a lot, too, so – so the reason why I'm going back to that is they used to go to the store for their groceries called frugal whatever. The frugal hoosier. Yeah, frugal hoosier, right? Oh, it only expired three days ago, right? <laughs> and, but in a way, like my wife is fortunately really amazing at saving. Like she doesn't spend any money at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anything I spend is like, oh my gosh, I bought something, right? She doesn't spend anything. And it, it's really just – it's where you choose to spend your dollars right so paul i'm going to pick on you and, and our dear dear friend ken for a moment mm-hmm. okay when you when i bought that first house you guys were like what are you doing and i'm like this is it was part of my overall financial plan mm. you know with saving money gaining the house getting equity and and hoping that equity continues and the value continues to go up and that first house certainly worked for me and you guys were, were and this is what I'm going to pick on you a little bit, like going out to these dinners all the time and doing all this stuff. And I'm looking, I was looking at you guys going, oh my gosh, well, I, it's great to hang out, but can't we just hang out at like at our houses and just chill and talk and be friends without spending so much on the dinners, right? That So to me, I, I did backwards math on you guys at one point many many years ago paul don't be mad no but no i i appreciate it because i i know exactly you what you're spending. talking about yeah i'm totally I guilty with math on how much money you guys were spending a year going out to dinners yeah and i could like, believe it oh my gosh that's that's covering <laughs> x amount of my mortgage just in that where if y'all just came over we could have fun and chat and still have the same conversations so we everyone brings something, you know. Yeah, it, so. it, it took a long time to learn that lesson, Paul, and and I think that it's something that I definitely had to learn, and I, I appreciate your methodology over the years, um, and 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 your view on these pieces because you realized what counts, and what I say by that is I'm going to reiterate. Uh, so Paul, great family guy beautiful home, beautiful wife, beautiful kids, stable, you know, a pillar in his community. And that's all because of all these things that Paul was able to do and sacrifices. Now, you could have spent the money and gone oh, yeah. to dinner, right? You could have, but you didn't because you'd rather be able to take that money and, and, and make sure it was there for the hockey leagues or make sure it was there for any kind of tutoring required or extracurricular activities that might have helped with school. And, and I think that you spent the money way more wisely than uh, a couple of steaks and some dishes of pasta. So I totally get it. Totally get it. And I could – to this day, Paul, to be honest with you, I could still learn some lessons from that. I try to be uh, a bit more of a homebody uh, because I think a lot of these things that we're talking about today apply to whether you're having a one income or two incomes. There's a lot of things that just come down to simple math where – 
you don't want to spend your money frivolously on a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I, you can. It just yeah, you can. understand yeah. the consequences and the implications of, of doing that. Yep. Right? And some people, for them, relaxation and unwinding is going out to dinner and and having that glass of wine and with, with close friends. For me, I'd rather just have everyone over here and have that same glass of wine and not worry about getting pushed out the door by a restaurant or anything and just – yeah, I'm reminded of when we before COVID, when we went to the last great Christmas party I was to, was at was at your house, and we were there very late, right? And and talking with your kids, and and it just was awesome, right? And there was no Mater D forcing you out or throwing the check on the table, um, you know. So I, I agree with you. Um, I think no, the home, but, but I did change. Uh, I did create a Wi-Fi guest network in the house just uh, two days ago called Please Leave by Nine or Leave by Nine. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. That is so cool. I think with that, we'll wrap up the podcast today. Um, so for my takeaways, um, I think it's it, – I was going to say it's not – it's too late for me but not for you. But I guess if I really looked at it, even at this point in my life, uh, maybe it, it isn't too late for me if I wanted to kind of make an adjustment to kind of go to a single income if I wanted to. So I'm going to change my, my notes from too late for me, not f- for you, to it's always never too late. Right. So if you're out there and your kids are older or you want to do something different or you want to go back to school or you want to switch jobs, or you want to switch careers or you just having kids and you want one spouse to stay home, whatever that reason is where you want to reduce from two income to one, no matter what age or what situation, you could do it. If you really want to, you could do it and the benefits could be outstanding. And, and I think the second piece is not just about the kids, right? Like I said, it's about uh, could be you want to go back to school. It could be a number of things. So I'm going to leave it at that. And, Paul, I'll let you have the last word before we close out. Yeah, so, Paul, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, right? Maybe it's I want to retire earlier and my wife wants to work a little longer, right? Mm-hmm. That's another reason why you could do that. So um, hopefully everyone got some nuggets out of this. Uh, thank everyone for listening. But uh, it, was, it was another good Another good discussion. Hopefully, you and Ken will still talk to me after no, no. the comment before. <laughs> I think that's fine. Yeah, I think though, there's no, no it's all cool. It's all good. So, uh, well, Paul, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to our next one. Uh, thanks everyone for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So, with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you managing finances can be stressful. But that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you.